Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Consumer Review Report on Tube City Online Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc., where we deal with consumer issues. This show is heard Sundays at 4 p.m., Tuesdays at 6 p.m., and Thursdays at 9 a.m., again on Tube City Online Radio. And if you can't catch our regularly scheduled shows, podcasts of these shows are available on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. Now, if you have any ideas of any products or services you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any questions or any comments on anything you've heard on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. So today's show will focus on technology. Windows 11 has been released, and yet what do we really know about it? Is it much different than Windows 10? Well, we'll hear audio from Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella explaining Windows 11 from a video posted by the Wall Street Journal. Next, we'll hear from Theo Joe on how to fix any Windows corruption without having to reinstall the whole operating system. So, if you experience Windows corruption on a frequent basis, this information could come in handy. Next, we talk about Apple products. An interesting video that was posted by Brightside may interest the iPhone users. The audio we'll hear is from a video called 20 Hidden iPhone Tricks I Didn't Know Existed. And after that, we'll hear audio from a video posted by Strive Valley that speculates that Apple glasses may be coming in 2022. And then later in the show, we'll hear about ransomware attacks and why they seem to be happening more frequently. I've always had a curiosity about how a big corporation could be brought to a halt by this method of terrorism and fraudulence that's hard to trace and has a great chance of avoiding capture so we'll be hearing from the wall street journal on that subject so let's get to it microsoft ceo explains windows 11 posted by the wall street journal i'm calling you right now from a windows 10 computer what is going to be different when i upgrade to windows 11. i would say the experience right it's modern and more importantly it's centered on you even just that little subtle shift of the start in the center, centered, 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 centered around you. There it is, from the king of Microsoft himself. In Windows 11, the company's next big operating system due out later this year, the start button moves to the bottom center. But that cosmetic change actually has deeper meaning. The word center is core to Satya Nadella's vision that Windows 11 should be at the center of your digital life as Apple and Google entice users to increasingly closed-off worlds. He wants Windows 11 to be a compelling choice for people who don't want to live exclusively in either. 
Windows has a role to play as that most open of ecosystems today that plays nicely with, in fact, the others. We want you to be able to connect your phones uh, to your PCs. We want you to be able to communicate to people on phones or other PCs. The proof is in the features. Windows 11 can now run Android apps. To learn more about the new software, Microsoft gave me an exclusive interview with the company's CEO and chairman. I know there's like a new start sound, and I wanted to know if you could do an impression of it. No, I, I wish. I, was, I, I need more talent. I took away three things the company's doing in this new operating system to lure users and app makers. Number one, a new modern interface. Those who remember Windows 8 know that messing with the start menu before didn't work out so well for Microsoft. There's not somebody's job at Microsoft, which is how should we move the start button? Where should we move it? I'm sure it is as well. And we'll always also have the option with Windows, as you know, we'll always have the option for anybody to go back to whatever classic mode they want. But the placement is only part of the fresh start. Click the button itself and you get your apps, but also cloud-connected recommendations of what you might need next. The design system of Windows is about you getting to your apps, your files, your, the people you want to connect with faster, with less friction. There are lots of other interface and design changes. This button on the taskbar brings up a widget screen where you can view all sorts of news and quick glance information. Hover on the Maximize Window button and you get a tool to help you place multiple windows side by side. These screenshots provided by Microsoft were taken on pre-release software and the features are not final. Tell me, what kind of role did the pandemic play in, in the development of Windows 11? We definitely were influenced by the need for a modern operating system. In some sense, the original idea of Windows uh, has suddenly become, again in 2021, a huge priority. One of those pandemic-driven features, a universal mute button that lives in the system tray, so you don't always have to go digging in whatever video calling app to mute yourself. I'm very into it. The second thing, a new store with Android apps. We are going to welcome all apps across even all the different application platforms in uh, Windows itself, right? It can be a PWP or a web app. It can be a native app. Uh, and we're going to support Android as first class as well. All right, tech translation. Up until now, the Microsoft Store was just for certain kinds of Windows apps. Now it will be open for any Windows app. But the real headline? Microsoft is partnering with Amazon's Android App Store. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing with the Microsoft Store on Windows 10, and, and specifically there, what you're doing with Amazon. In fact, you can go to our store, search, find an Android application, and then you know, you'll be linked into the Amazon Store, and you can use the Amazon Store apps uh, as if they're Windows apps, and all of the windowing will work. It's a big move, and one clearly aimed at Chromebooks, which also run Android apps. In the last year, unit sales of Chromebooks grew by 275%. Windows 11 will also enable more Windows apps to run on new laptops and desktops powered by ARM mobile chips from Qualcomm. If you think about the traditional role of operating systems, operating systems are very much, you know, needed whenever there is a real change in the system architecture, right? I mean, if you think about the AI chips now, right? It's not just the CPU and the GPU, but now NPUs are all becoming part of uh, any PC. Another translation. All these parts of the chipset have changed in big ways in the last few years to make computers smarter and more power efficient. Windows 11 will work better with them. And that brings us to the third, a focus on openness. 
why Windows? Why should someone get Windows over Chrome, over Mac OS? Windows gives you the most choice of systems to apps to everything that you want to be able to do. I think Windows, in fact, is becoming increasingly the device that bridges all of these ecosystems. Do you think of yourself as sort of the Switzerland there of the ecosystems? I think that more than when we say Switzerland, I think there are certain platform rules by which we uh, principally dry windows. I'm not saying that other ecosystems shouldn't have their own platform rules. We have a different set of platform rules, and those platform rules, I believe, in 2021 are more needed than they ever were. How are your platform rules different than, than say, Apple? One simple thing. We have the ability uh, to have multiple marketplaces uh, that can thrive. We want to have a great marketplace, but we also welcome other marketplaces. We want to have great tools uh, like, say, Teams, uh, but we also welcome Zoom or Slack or anything else to be also first class. Apple's iOS specifically does not allow for third-party app stores and has been the focus of recent antitrust scrutiny. So if you have an Android phone, it works great with Windows. What about the iPhone? We would love to make sure that it works better. I mean, we do everything we can. Like anything that Apple wants to do with Windows, whether it's iTunes or iMessage or what have you, uh, we would welcome that. Uh, but overall, we want to make sure our software runs great on Apple devices. Uh, and Windows works well with any software from anyone, whether it's Google or Apple or Adobe or anyone. But what Mr. Nadell's biggest challenge seems to be, moving ahead without alienating those who love Windows of yore. I want to read you something you said in your first event as Microsoft CEO, and this was in 2014. You said, this business does not respect tradition. What it respects is innovation on a go-forward basis. So it's really our collective challenge that we now need to make Microsoft thrive in a mobile-first and a cloud-first world. How do you innovate with avoiding a disaster like Windows 8? It's all about sort of the batting average at the end of it all. The fact that here, 35 years after its inception, and there's no innovation that's risk-free. So let's say, uh, say that, and then, um, and then, you know, boldly go forward. But don't worry. You can still move your start button to where it's always been. 11, it's a big number. It's a lucky, a lucky number? 11 is a lucky number? Oh, it is a lucky number. Two ones make 11. Two ones make 11. Also add up to two. <laughs> there you go. Next up, the ultimate guide to fix almost any Windows corruption posted by Theo Joe. When it comes to computer problems, there are nearly infinite possible causes. But today, I'm going to show you how to solve nearly any problem with Windows, assuming, of course, that the problem is with the operating system itself and not a hardware failure or just with a specific program. And I've got just a few super simple steps involving some basic commands that should fix most issues and then one final last resort. But even that does not require wiping and reinstalling anything, but rather does a complete in-place repair install keeping everything else and I'll put the timestamps in the description so you can come back to this video next time you have an issue before we continue though I do want to thank today's sponsor Micro Center to whom I've already been a customer and those are the best sponsors 
Micro Center has a huge range of electronics from computers, networking devices, TVs and monitors, and more, with over 30,000 items in stock. And by the way, in my experience, if you go to one of their physical locations, they carry things that no other store has, particularly with specialty stuff like individual computer components. And obviously the people working there are going to be more knowledgeable than what you'd see at some run-of-the-mill big box store or something. Now, whether you're shopping in-store at one of Micro Center's locations or looking online at microcenter.com, you'll find a bunch of great deals. And also check out their new lineup of business solutions, including workstations from Dell and Supermicro, as well as their new Supermicro workstation or server builder at certain locations. And if you've stuck around until now, it's definitely worth it because Micro Center is offering new customers a free 240 gigabyte SSD in store. You can read all the details on their site, but there's no purchase necessary and it's not one of those chance to win things. You just sign up and you get your coupon and bring it in to claim it. Again, I'll put that link in the description so you can read all the details how. And so with all that being said, let's continue. All right, now we can get cracking. For this video, I'm assuming you've already tried the usual stuff, which I'll just list off. Like you've restarted, checked for updates, updated your graphics drivers, have done a full virus scan. If it's a network issue, you made sure that only that computer is having issues. And if the problem does seem to be related to a specific program, you've tried reinstalling it. Well, in that case, the next course of action is to try running a few commands created to repair Windows. Now, some of you may have heard these a million times already, but I will go into more detail, so stick around. And for these commands, you guessed it, they're the System File Checker, SFC, and the Deployment Imaging Servicing and Management command, DISM. And these are the exact actual commands shown here. Really quickly, just for context, the SFC command basically checks for corruption within the current Windows installation and fixes it based on a stored system image and DISM checks for issues with that system image, also referred to as the component store, and repairs it too. Many places will just tell you to just run SFC and DISM and be done with it. Some say in the reverse order, but we're just gonna cut out all the uncertainty altogether. Here's what you do. Search the start menu for the command prompt and run it as administrator. Then first run the command SFC space slash scan now and let it go. It might take a couple minutes, then hopefully it will say, did not find any integrity violations. Or it might say, found corrupted files and successfully repaired them, which actually might be better news because that might have solved your problem right there. And this is a real example of a time I did this myself and it said that. Though another possibility is that it found corrupted files and was not able to repair them, or even that SFC won't run at all. For example, if it says Windows Resource Protection could not start the repair service, stick around till the end. This is one I had to deal with personally. There is an option to fix that without reinstalling everything, but you're probably not gonna like it. No matter what it says though, don't worry because we are not done. Oh, and as a side note, if you happen to close the command prompt while the scan is running, it keeps running in the background. So if you try to run it again, it will just seem to hang until the first one is done. It's not frozen. Now, if SFC found anything, whether it repaired it or not, restart your computer. But if it didn't find anything, it's not necessary to restart. And after you do that, next, run this command. DISM slash online slash cleanup dash image slash restore health. And I'll put these in the description so you can copy and paste them. Again, if it says completed successfully, there weren't any issues. Or if it did find something, it would say so and hopefully have repaired it. And again, if it did find something, probably restart your computer. Finally, run the same SFC command again in any case. 
If it found errors and did repair it the first time, you want to make sure that there are none left. And if it couldn't repair before, but DISM repaired something, SFC might work now. As a side note, both commands add to the log file at c slash windows slash log slash cbs.log. And after running DISM in that log file, it will even show this with the exact number of corrupted files and stuff. Many times having done all that will fix the problem if the Windows installation itself is corrupted. If it found corruption and was not able to repair, there are still other options. But before we get into that, if it did not find any corruption, and the problem still persists obviously, sometimes the issue is your Windows profile being corrupted. I don't actually know if a file gets corrupted and causes weird stuff. Like one time, my start menu layout kept erasing itself and it was so annoying it turns out it was a corrupted profile. One way to tell if a profile is corrupted is to simply create another extra user account and see if it happens in there too. You can go to Settings, Accounts, Family and Other Users, add someone else to this PC. And it will ask for a Microsoft account, but no. Just hit don't have this person sign in or whatever it says. It'll ask again and again, just select without Microsoft account, which means a local account. Then just go through and finish making it, keeping your old profile, of course. Then log out of your main profile into the new one and see if the problem keeps happening. Though if it happened randomly, not very often, you might have to use it until it does or long enough where you're confident that it won't. If a new profile does not seem to fix it, or even if it does, there is still one more thing you'll want to try. Because if a new profile does seem to fix it, it very well could be a corrupt profile. And if it is, God help you, because almost nothing can fix that. Now, the solution is simple, just annoying. Move to another user profile, which though is sometimes just as bad as clean installing. But I'll show you how to go about doing it a little bit easier later. But we aren't there yet. There is a method of last resort besides doing a clean install of Windows because we obviously don't want to go there if at all possible. And this option is an in-place repair upgrade. The quick rundown before I show you how is basically you download a Windows image from Microsoft's website, then run it the same way you would when installing a major update. But instead of upgrading to a new version, it just rewrites your current Windows system files. And it does not require you to reinstall any programs or lose any files or anything. Only some minor system stuff might get reset, like you might lose some custom fonts or downloaded language packs, and you'll just have to rerun Windows Update most likely, but that's mostly it. So here's how to do it in detail. And there's actually a couple ways to go about this, both involving the media creation tool. So Google Windows Media Creation Tool, or I'll put the link in the description, and hit Download Tool Now on this page though, it might look a little bit different depending on when you watch this. For me, the file name showed the version of Windows as 21H2, which is important to note. In the Start menu, you can type WinVer, and then look to make sure that the tool you downloaded is for either the same or a newer major version of Windows than what you're using. Then just run the tool and accept all the stuff. Now here's the two ways. The better way to try first, in my opinion, is to click Create Installation Media in order to make an ISO. And if that doesn't work, later you could do the Upgrade This PC Now option. So anyway, click Next, and on this one, make sure that the language, edition, and architecture are correct. If it says both, 
or something non-specific like all languages or whatever, just change it to be exactly what you're using now. So change it to either 64 or 32-bit, which you can see by the way by searching the start menu for system information, but it's probably 64-bit these days. Then if there are multiple options for the addition, in mind there wasn't here, make sure that the Windows edition is also right, like home or pro or whatever. Then once it's all right, click next and select ISO file and then just save it anywhere and let it do its thing. It will download the proper ISO version and make the file, and it will ask you at the end if you want to burn it to a DVD, but don't. We do not want to burn the ISO to a USB, DVD, or anything. The upgrade must be run from within Windows, or from my understanding, you would only have the option for a clean white if you didn't. So we have to run it from within Windows. Once the file is done, right-click it and hit Mount ISO which should create a virtual drive, so go into that and click setup.exe. At this point, if you clicked upgrade this PC now, you'd be in the same spot as we are here. The first screen will say it wants to download updates and stuff, but we don't actually want that. It could complicate things. Just click change how Windows gets updates or however it's worded, and then select not right now. Go through and accept all the stuff, and then wait for it to go get ready. Now hold on a second at this next window. This one is critical to pay attention to. Double check that it's installing the right edition, which should be the same as your current one. Even more importantly, make sure it says keep personal files and apps. If it does not say that, and the only option is keep nothing, do not click next or install. That could mean that the ISO you're using or downloaded is for an older version than you're running. And in that case, you'd have to go figure out why that is and get the newer one. Anyway, make sure it's set to keep personal files and apps and hit install or next, whichever one you see. And keep in mind, before this, that's your last chance to change your mind. Now just let it run and it will probably restart multiple times. If you have issues or it fails to install at all, try disabling any third-party antivirus and then try again. And also disconnect any device except your monitor, keyboard, and mouse basically. Or you could also try the upgrade now option we saw before or just do the ISO again. In any case, hopefully it should have successfully installed and we'll show you the whole new installation setup flow. Like asking you for privacy settings and stuff, just go through that and you'll be able to log into Windows the same as before with everything still there. And now the computer and see if the problem persists. You can also run SFC and DISM again and if it wasn't able to repair before, it should be fine now. Now, if for whatever reason this didn't fix it, there could be a couple causes depending on some things. If the update failed to complete at all and SFC showed corrupted files, hold on a minute. If the update did complete, but the problem persists, but using a new user profile does fix it, it's almost certainly a corrupted user profile. In which case, if it's a corrupted profile, here's what needs to be done. Go log into that other profile you created or create one now if you didn't. Go to the directory C, users, and then whatever the name of that account is of your original account. Actually though, because of permissions, what you'll probably have to do is while logged into the original account, copy everything to the public user folder and then log out of it, log into the new account, and then copy everything from the public folder into the new one. Copy everything, don't drag and drop and move, actually right click and hit copy everything, but do not copy any hidden folders if you have hidden folders enabled, such as app data or any of those. The hidden folders have system files having to do with the Windows profile, and it would certainly just corrupt the new profile even more. Now all the files are in the new account, but unfortunately program settings probably are not. 
Also, all programs might not be installed for all users, so you might have to reinstall some stuff. If there's any program settings that you really want to copy, you could just look up where the settings files are stored for that computer and copy them over individually. They probably are in app data, but again, don't just copy the entire app data folder over. Okay, back to what to do if there are still corrupted files or the update failed altogether. If there is no corruption, you've done a repair install and a new user profile doesn't fix it, Honestly, I wouldn't know what to tell you at this point. It could be a hardware issue. It could be from some installed program. And if that's the case, maybe either take it to a professional or do a full backup and a clean wipe. That's what I refer to when I said nearly every Windows problem. But if it does still show corruption, at least we have something to work with. And it could mean that the Windows updater itself is corrupted. And this is almost just as bad because the options are really limited. This exact situation happened to me this year where SFC wouldn't even run and said Windows Resource Protection could not start the repair service. I looked at the log files and it turns out that something called Servicing Stack Update was corrupted. And when I looked that up, I discovered it was a key underlying component for several elements of Windows deployment, such as SFC and DISM. Yes, literally the repair tools in Windows themselves got corrupted. Bruh. Now, if it is something like that, like I said, you can still try and run SFC and DISM and then look at that CBS log file I mentioned before. It will probably look like this and will actually list out all the corrupted files and above it will give even more details and probably say mismatch plus some stuff like the exact location of each corrupted file. The way I fixed this, and yes, I was able to completely fix it, was to painstakingly copy a good version of each individual file from another computer. Nope, not kidding. There were like 60 of them. You will have to make sure that the other computer is the exact same build. I believe even the same minor build number. Fortunately, for some reason, my computer was still installing updates, apparently, and was on the latest version. So I just updated my laptop and then they had the same version. Then basically do a search for the good copies. In my case, they all seem to be in these folders. So I just copied all these directories in whole onto a thumb drive and then extracted out the good copies individually as needed from that. But I still had to go in and find the individual things. I couldn't just overwrite everything. Just be prepared for it to find more corrupted files after replacing the first ones. Yes, that happened to me. But after all that, SFC actually did run and it really did succeed in checking integrity with no corruption. I was legitimately shocked it worked. Now, there might be easier ways to go about that. You will probably, like me, find guides on using an external source for DSM, stuff like that. But I don't want this video to be an hour long and that didn't even work for me, I did try that but it might be worth trying if DISM itself is not corrupted like it was in my case, so just look that up yourself. But after doing everything above, it should have fixed dang near every problem. To be thorough though, I'll mention the check disk command, which is also good to know if your SSD or hard drive are acting up, just look up how to use that. And if you're having a problem where Windows won't boot at all, it could be a boot record issue on which I'm not even gonna attempt to give advice, I'm just not familiar enough with it. Though you can yourself look up the boot rec command, that's one that I know, and it's options that might help. So at this point, at least you can say that you'll have tried everything I could think of. 
Thanks again to Micro Center for sponsoring this video. I'll put some links to their stuff in the description. So check that out, including that free 240 gigabyte SSD. If you guys want to keep watching, the next video I'd recommend is one where I did go over what the app data folder and all that is about, if you're curious. It really is interesting. So you can click that right there. If you guys want to subscribe, I only make videos about once a week. So also be sure to enable the bell for notifications so they don't get lost in the rest of your subscriptions. As always, be sure to like the video, comment if you enjoyed it, and let me know what you think. So thank we have just had some discussion about Windows products. Now it's time to turn our attention to Apple. Let's get to 20 hidden iPhone tricks I didn't know existed posted by Brightside. And after that, we'll hear Apple glasses coming in 2022 posted by Strive Valley. If you move app icons to a different screen one by one, try another way and move everything at once. Grab one icon and hold it, and then use your other finger to tap on all the other icons you want to move. Voila! They're now added to the one you're holding. Once you've selected them all, move them to the other part of the screen. All done. There's also a quicker way to close all of your applications. You probably swipe them up one by one, and sometimes it takes forever. You can do it three times faster if you use three fingers when swiping. This way, you'll be swiping away three tabs at once. Sometimes we give our phones to someone for some reason. Yeah, that'd be pretty terrifying and sometimes even embarrassing when someone's scrolling through your phone. Things get much better once you learn this trick. There's a guided access feature on your iPhone. When activated, it will not allow the person to leave a particular app. Go to Settings, Accessibility, and then scroll down to find the guided access to activate it. Enable it and set a passcode. Someone takes your iPhone and is trying to unlock it with your face. If you don't want it, you can simply say, Hey Siri, whose phone is this? This command will make Siri lock the face and touch ID and force anyone who wants to unlock your phone to type in the password. You can disguise any app as something different. Go to Shortcuts, hit the plus, and tap the lower panel. Add the action Open App Tap Choose and search for the app you want to hide and select it. Then tap it again. Add it to your home screen, set the name, and choose the icon picture. You can also hide some of your photos. To do this, open the photo you want to hide. Tap the Share button and then tap Hide. To find the hidden album, go to Photos, then Albums, and scroll down till under Utilities, where you see the hidden album. So it's really not that hidden. But if you don't want the hidden album to show up, you can hide it as well. Go to Settings, then Photos. Scroll down and switch off the hidden album mode. To bring it back, switch it back on. There's also a possibility to add captions to your photos. If you do this, you don't need to scroll through all of your photos to find the one you need. So if you make a photo of your friend's address, just open the photo, Swipe up and you'll see the Add a Caption field. Type in the keyword like Address and then Done. If you ever need it later, instead of scrolling down through all of your photos, you can simply go to the Search field, type in Address, and the photo will pop up. You can drag and drop a photo to any app. Just choose it, tap and hold it. Keep holding it, and with your other finger, go to another app where you want to send it and put it there. 
You can set a live photo as wallpaper. Choose the photo you like. Click the Share button and scroll down to Use as a Wallpaper. Set as only a lock screen wallpaper. Lock your phone. Now you see the picture. Tap it and hold down, and it'll start moving. You make a screenshot of your home screen to show one particular app to a friend. If you make just a simple screenshot, you'll have to specify in the message which row it's in. Not anymore. After making a screenshot, tap on it. When you're in the editing mode, tap on the plus button and then on the magnifier. This feature will add a magnifying circle to your photo to zoom in on a particular space. Simply adjust its size and the degree of zooming in or out to magnify a specific thing on the screenshot. In Safari, you can make a screenshot of the whole page at once, not only the part that's on your screen. Take a regular screenshot and then tap on it to go to the editing mode. On the top panel, select the option Full Page. Definitely handy because you don't have to do several screenshots anymore. You scroll through all the videos on YouTube or photos on Instagram and really go far down. No need to go all the way up again once you want to get back to the top. Just tap the time in the upper left corner and it'll take you to the top automatically. If you sleep with music or a podcast, there is a way to set a timer to keep playing all night long. To do this, go to the clock, then to the timer. Set the time and then go to the option when the timer ends. Scroll down to the very end and you'll find the stop playing button there. Press it and then tap done. After the time you've set, your media will stop playing in the background. There are new cool features in iMessage. If you want to respond to a particular message with an emoji, you can just pick the one you need and drag it onto the message. Place it anywhere you want and that's the way the other person will see it. When sending a message, tap and hold the send button. You can choose one of several different animation effects to send it. Swipe left to look through all the sending effects. Then you can send it and the person will see it the way you've chosen. If you want to delete a message you just typed in, just shake your phone and confirm. If you've changed your mind and want to get it back, just shake it again. Another typing trick is to use numbers. If you need to type in a number, you probably type the 123 to go to the symbols menu. Then pick a number, then tap ABC to come back. This is pretty annoying, and the good news is that you don't have to do it. Instead, just press and hold the 123 menu. The numbers will appear, so you can simply move your finger towards the digit you need. Once you stop holding your finger, you'll be back to the text menu, and you can keep typing. Turns out, you can change the colors of your emojis. Go to the settings, then to accessibility. Then choose display and text size. Then go to color filters and turn them on. You can choose one of several color filters, and it'll totally change the color appearance of your device, including the emojis. There's a way to save your current location quickly. This can be really helpful when you park your car and need to find it afterwards. It can be saved with a couple of taps, so once you're somewhere you want to remember, just tap and hold the Maps icon and choose Mark My Location from the menu that popped up. Your location will be dropped, and later on, you can find a way back here. You can turn text you see anywhere into typed text on your cell phone. Go to Notes. Hit this option in the middle. This will split your screen in two. 
scan any text you want and it'll be automatically converted into text in the note. You probably know that on the side of your cell phone, you can mute your phone so that you don't hear any calls or notifications. But if there's one or several people you wouldn't want to miss a call from, you can unmute just them. Go to your contacts, find the person, tap Edit Contacts, and switch on the Emergency Bypass mode. Now, even when your phone is muted, if this person calls you, you'll hear it. Some apps constantly track your location and do it only while you're using the app. Turn off location permission for non-essential apps to spare up some juice. Restart your phone once a week to keep its RAM from getting stuffed with unnecessary data, which will also make your phone slower. Your display might not need to be on 100% brightness all the time. You can keep it on auto mode if you don't want to constantly mess with it. Otherwise, lower it a bit because it will spend a lot of your battery. Use low power mode. Apps might run a bit slower, but your phone will charge faster and spend less battery. Turn off push notifications. Do this in the app setting and turn off the ones you don't care about. There are also simple things you can do to make your smartphone last longer. Don't overcharge it. This might overheat your phone, which won't be good in the long run. Don't charge it in direct sunlight either. In fact, don't expose your phone to direct sunlight at all. Keep it cool if you can. Don't play with it while it's charging. It's another way phones get overcharged. The most important thing is to get a good case. Order one before you get your new phone. Imagine you just got out of the store with your latest gen smartphone, but you haven't gotten it protected yet. Suddenly, you trip and your phone slips out of your hand. Your hard-earned money goes down the drain. Instead, apply its protective case as soon as you get it out of the box. Buy a screen protector too, to prevent it from getting scratched. Even if your phone doesn't get completely ruined after falling, you might still have to pay for its repairs. Don't use a cheap adapter to charge it. It can pose a threat to your phone's battery. With time, your phone screen will get some dirt on it, and so will its ports. Take a bit out of your day to clean out any lint or dirt in the charging port, microphone, and speaker grill. Everyone remembers Google Glass, which was launched in 2013. It failed to gain any traction due to its high price tag of $1,500, lack of use cases, and concerns about privacy. While Google Glass is being used by a few businesses, it failed to ever reach the mainstream. It was ahead of its time, but foreshadowed where the tech industry would be headed nearly a decade later. Moving into 2021, Apple is taking a leap with their next major product release set to be AR glasses. Ironically, just like Google Glass, Apple will be naming their glasses Apple Glass, but this time things are set to be a lot different. In a 2019 annual meeting with investors, Apple CEO Tim Cook said the company was working on new products that would blow them away. In a Bloomberg report, Cook also said that Apple was in the process of planting seeds and rolling the dice on new products that would be launching in the future. The breakthrough technology behind AR glasses has been many years in the works. Apple has been working on AR and VR technology for more than 10 years according to several patents filed. 
The company's serious interest in making glasses has also been backed up by a series of AR and VR company acquisitions, including Flyby Media, NextVR, Aconia Holographics, Camerai, and VR Vena, among others. In 2015, Apple hired Mike Rockwell to lead their secretive AR and VR unit, which has since grown to a group of over 1,000 engineers. The AR glasses they're working on are said to have a high-resolution display, 3D scanning, and advanced human detection. So when exactly will Apple Glass be released? In July of last year, the information reported that Apple Glass lenses had passed the prototype stage and entered trial production, which is a key milestone Apple has before bringing a new device to market. John Prosser, a reputable Apple leaker, says the company will announce Apple Glass before it's ready to ship, much like it waited several months to sell the first-generation Apple Watch after its debut. Apple allegedly wants members of the media present for the unveiling, so it could wait until in-person tech events resume. However, Prosser believes this launch is aimed for March to June 2021, so it could come a lot sooner than most have anticipated. With the global issues present in 2020, many have said it's entirely likely that Apple was forced to delay this launch, pushing back the release into 2022. Either way, we should be able to expect an announcement sometime this year. In looking at past Apple launches, the first series of the Apple Watch was priced at $349, and the first Apple iPad was priced at $499. Similar to these past two projects, sources suggest the Apple glasses are currently priced at $499, not including any prescription fees. This may seem low compared to the Microsoft HoloLens 2, which are priced at $3,500, and the $2,300 Magic Leap 1 glasses. However, the big difference is that Apple Glass will act more as an accessory and rely on processing power from an iPhone. This will also help ensure the glasses are slim and lightweight. According to a Bloomberg report, Apple's AR glasses will synchronize with a wearer's iPhone to display things such as texts, emails, maps, and games over the user's field of vision. A patent filed by Apple hinted that the smart glasses could also help people see in the dark via depth sensors that provide a greater look at the world around you. Just like the Apple Watch and Apple TV, Apple was also planning to have an app store exclusively for Apple Glass that will house third-party apps on it with a focus on gaming, streaming video content, and video conferencing. The glasses are expected to run on a new operating system called ROS, or Reality OS, and Apple is exploring touch panels, voice activation via Siri, and head gestures as a means of control. Being an accessory to the iPhone, the design of Apple Glasses will play an important role in staying true to the Apple brand. The most recent Apple Glass prototype looks like an unintimidating pair of plastic glasses, resembling almost a Clark Kent design. It has a LiDAR scanner on the right temple, but no other cameras for privacy reasons, and was also one of the main faults with the Google Glass. The glasses will come with a plastic stand that will allow wireless charging. No one wants AR glasses that look like geekware. Just like the current prototypes, it will be important that Apple makes natural-looking glasses that will be able to appeal to the masses. Though it is unlikely to be a focus in the first generation of the Apple glasses, having an 8-hour battery life will be important for having the glasses last through an average workday and keep people using them on a regular basis. While Apple's headset is set to release next year, Facebook also plans to release their own glasses next year in partnership with the luxury eyewear giant Luxottica, and the new consumer device will have a Ray-Ban branding. Since Facebook acquired Oculus VR in 2014 for $2.3 billion, the company has continued to expand its research into virtual reality and augmented reality devices.
With Facebook and Apple both expected to make AR announcements within the next year, it will be interesting to see where the two companies line up and which company will take the lead in the race for mass adoption in AR glasses. Over the next few years, Apple glasses will go on to redefine wearable computing and may just lead us into the biggest technological breakthrough since the smartphone. Now we just have to wait for the inevitable announcement. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, then be sure to like and subscribe for more. Next up, we'll learn a little about ransomware attacks and why they've been on the rise from audio that is extracted from a video on YouTube posted by the Wall Street Journal titled The Rise of Ransomware Attacks. And again, it was posted by the Wall Street Journal. We think the cyber threat is increasing uh, almost exponentially. Ransomware is becoming an increasingly severe and pervasive problem. We all have a role to play in keeping our nation safe. No organization is immune. We always thought we were small potatoes. Who would pick a single library out of the world to attack? And, and that just goes to show that it could happen to anybody. Ransomware is a practice hackers use to lock up computer systems and demand a payment from victims for the release. Data on ransomware attacks varies widely, and estimates are difficult to make because many attacks are never made public or reported to law enforcement. But security officials agree, the problem is rapidly getting worse. These attacks are increasing in frequency, victim losses are skyrocketing, and hackers are shifting their targets away from data-rich companies to providers of key public needs, such as hospitals, transportation, and food. What's causing the current acceleration in frequency and scope of these attacks? There are at least four main factors. First, victims continue to make cybersecurity mistakes, like clicking on phishing links or failing to keep company software updated. These criminal groups are still finding it too easy to exploit weak cybersecurity uh, or failure to execute cybersecurity best practices. A ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline forced the 5,500-mile pipeline to shut down for six days, spurring a run on gasoline along parts of the East Coast. Investigators believe hackers were able to break into the company's computer systems by logging into an out-of-use VPN profile that lacked two-factor authentication. The public library in Brownsburg, Indiana, found themselves in a similar situation in 2017. We believe the hackers came in through our card catalog, and which is where you look for books. It's open to the public, so it's an open venue. The attack locked Robinson and her staff out of email, cardholder information, and their entire library catalog of over 100,000 items. The library paid half of a Bitcoin, approximately $1,300 at the time, to regain access. Second, ransomware attacks have become very lucrative for hackers. In the past several weeks alone, JBS, whose meat plants were temporarily knocked offline by cybercriminals, and Colonial Pipeline have paid many millions of dollars to get their systems back up and running. Considering the consequences of potentially not bringing the pipeline back on as quickly as I possibly could, I chose the option to make the ransom payment. Both the Colonial Pipeline and JBS ransom payments were made using cryptocurrency, which has a reputation for being hard to track. But an announcement by the Justice Department that they'd recovered about $2.3 of Colonial's initial ransom demonstrates investigators' growing technical ability in some cases to disrupt the financial infrastructure that has enabled these ransomware gangs to demand large sums. The sophisticated use of technology to hold businesses and even whole cities hostage for profit is decidedly a 21st century challenge. But the old adage, follow the money, still applies. 
Cryptocurrency isn't the only reason ransomware attacks have become more lucrative. Some hackers are now utilizing double extortion tactics, in which they steal sensitive data from their victims before encrypting it, and then threaten to publish that information if victims refuse to pay. Third, hacking groups have reinvented the process through which criminal networks extort victims. Ransomware as a service is a practice in which hacking networks can sell or lease their ransomware software to other criminal groups to carry out attacks. Those affiliate groups then share the proceeds with the hackers who developed it. Darkside, the criminal group linked to the Colonial Pipeline hack, works in this way. And finally, according to U.S. officials and cybersecurity researchers, the majority of these hacks are coming from Russia and Eastern Europe where, security experts say, the line between criminal hacking groups and state-backed cyber operations can be murky, as governments often tolerate criminal activity as long as it is targeted overseas and sometimes even recruit hackers from those groups to carry out their own objectives. Following a highly anticipated summit between President Biden and Vladimir Putin in Geneva, the Russian leader said he agreed to start consultations on cybersecurity and denied that Moscow was involved in any cyber attacks. At a separate news conference, President Biden said he presented Mr. Putin with a list of critical infrastructure that he said should be off-limits. Responsible countries need to take action against criminals who conduct ransomware activities on their territory. So, we agreed to task experts in both our, both our countries to work on specific understandings about what's off-limits and to follow up on specific cases that originate in other countries. And either of our countries. So what can individuals and companies do now to better protect themselves? Goldstein said CISA is focused on helping ensure that organizations understand basic steps that they need to adopt to protect themselves, like running up-to-date software and using multi-factor authentication. He hopes the intrusions at Colonial Pipeline and JBS serve as a wake-up call for organizations across the country. The first barrier to increasing adoption of cybersecurity best practices is, is ensuring awareness among business management and business leaders uh, to make sure that when companies are deciding where to invest and which risks to invest in driving down, cybersecurity and the risk of ransomware attacks is seen as a top priority risk. Robinson said that after they recovered from the ransomware attack on the library, they implemented many security changes to prevent future attacks, like reworking their server backup system. We made sure that our catalog was on a firewall. We have a product called Silence that's running, that's watching for um, not just known viruses, but unusual activity. Following the ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline, President Biden said ransomware was a growing problem in need of a global response. As part of that response, TSA released security directives requiring pipeline operators to provide notification when they are targets or victims of cyber attacks, to appoint a cybersecurity coordinator, and to review their current activities. And some lawmakers and former government officials say that the federal government should now expand mandatory cybersecurity requirements across critical infrastructure sectors. Additionally, some lawmakers have said they may be open to considering legislation that could make ransom payments illegal in some cases, or require companies to disclose when they make a ransom payment to hackers. FBI officials said the techniques they used to recover some of Colonial's funds can be used in future cases, including when hackers attempt to transfer cryptocurrency through unfriendly overseas jurisdictions. We are looking at this as a, as a whole of solutions effort in which we need to focus on the, the groups themselves, their infrastructures, and then shoring up defenses across victim companies. And by focusing deeply on each of those areas, we'll be able to drive down this risk over time.
Well, that is the end of our show for today. And if you have any questions or comments on anything you've heard, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. This is the Consumer Review Report on Tube City Online Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc. This show is heard Sundays at 4 p.m., Tuesdays at 6 p.m., and Thursdays at 9 a.m. If you're not able to catch our regularly scheduled shows, podcasts of these shows are available on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. I'm Diane Rebecca, wishing everyone a safe and good week.